This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and I'm the TOS editor for the network. With me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Track Stars. Hey, how's it going? And visual effects producer for Star Trek Remastered, Dave Rossi. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? We're doing well. Thanks for... Uh, We're doing great. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It's our our first guest, and couldn't really ask for anything better than than someone who actually worked on the show. Well, you could probably ask. <laughs> They'd probably say no. <laughs> I I appreciate like asking on Twitter, like, "Hey, Dave, you want to be on the show sometime?" He's like, "I was just listening to one of your shows this morning." <laughs> And I was like, okay. I told everybody I knew. I, you know, it's not like I just emailed one of the random, you know, producers of Star Trek, and he's like, I totally listen to your show already. <laughs> I do. I try to listen whenever I can to uh, to as many of those Trek FM shows as I can. They're really fun. Oh, we really appreciate. That's good to it. hear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of mind blowing in a sense, honestly. But you know. Uh, and it's also kind of scary because it's like, okay, people are actually listening to this. I guess we need to try to be good or something. We we can't badmouth anyone. <laughs> I have to do the same thing. <laughs> well, like I said, you were the, the visual effects producer for Star Trek Remastered, which for those of you living under rocks or not owning the Blu-rays or the most recent DVDs or still have it on VHS. We'll leave it at that. If you still have it on VHS, <laughs> a, a while back, uh, CBS released remastered versions where they'd gone back to the original film and then replaced the special effects with uh, CG versions. And and Dave was the one responsible. So send all your hate mail to uh, Dave Rossi. At, no. <laughs> That's right. So... Dave, how did you get involved with with Remastered? Well, um, I was approached after Enterprise had ended, shortly after, I was approached by a guy named David LaFontaine, who is a vice president at CBS in charge of their syndication department. And we had lunch, and he said, listen, we're thinking about rolling Star Trek, the original series, back out into syndication, but we're running into a problem, and that problem is none of the stations want to bite because there's nothing new about it. It's a, you know, 40-something-year-old property, and um, and they think they're going to have a lot of trouble getting advertisers to sign up for it, so we're trying to think of ways to plus it up. And right away, you know, the hair on the back of my neck was standing up, and I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and, um, and he said, I just wanted to pick your brain. He said, I know you're, you know, a big fan as well as somebody who worked on it. He said, so let me just run some ideas by you. And I'll tell you honestly, I don't remember a lot of the other ideas, but 
there was something about maybe rescoring every episode, and there, you know, there's a bunch of different things. Uh, but the one that he was really excited about was, what if we replaced all the exterior space shots? And uh, I, uh, you know, I remember kind of laughing and saying, I, I think that is, no offense, but probably the worst idea I've ever heard. I said, I, <laughs> you saw what happened when George Lucas did it. I said, you're gonna, you know. You're going to create this uh, this new beast that's all about visual effects and, and less about the show, and you're going to get a backlash. I said, I think it's a, a bad idea. I'd I, I think of something else. And he said, well, do me a favor and just think about it for a couple weeks. And then let's have lunch again, and, and we'll talk about it. And then we, we, we've kind of got to make a decision. And if you have any other ideas. And I said, okay. And I didn't have too many other ideas about how to make advertisers excited about a 40-year-old, you know, I mean, what can you do, contests and, you know, I, I, there wasn't much to do. So he, of course, immediately came back to uh, this other idea, and he was, you know, it was kind of like a foregone conclusion at that point that they were going to do it, and, and he said, so, I, you know, this is the way we, we need to do it, but what do you think about... Um, you know, you mentioned there's going to be a backlash on the fans. I said, listen, if you can find somebody to take this project on who won't turn it into a visual effects fiesta and has a real love for the content and will, you know, shepherd it, you might be okay. I said, but I think you got to be really careful about who you choose. And he said, well, do you want to do it? And, you know, it was like spit take. And I was, I, I said, okay. <laughs> it's like everything I just told him went right out the window. I was like, yeah, you got it. I'm your man. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I'm a huge original series fan. It's where I cut my teeth on the Star Trek. Captain Kirk is my, uh, my ultimate hero. And, uh, and I thought, you know, yeah, I, I can totally do this. And the only problem I had was I had just started at Paramount in another division. And when they hired me in this other division, they said, you're going to have to travel a lot. So it's going to be like, you know, a couple of weeks of travel, a couple of weeks home, a couple of weeks of travel, a couple of weeks home. So I said that to David LaFontaine, and he said, well, why don't you bring in some help? And so I called Mike Okuda, and, uh, and I knew he was free. And so he showed up for a meeting uh, with Denise in tow. They're kind of like the Binars. <laughs> <laughs> you never see one without the other. And, you know, Mike had the same reservations I did about doing it, but, you know, we had a nice long conversation about it and how we would try and plus these effects but also be respectful to the to the original ideas for the show. And it's interesting because looking back on it, I mean, I know there were a lot of people who had the same attitude we did, which was, you know, this is a colossal mistake and you're going to rape my childhood and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's funny because looking back on it, I would have actually pushed things a little further. Not much, but a little. But we were also under really, really crazy time constraints for each episode. We we had, um, you know, three weeks to get an episode done. We had a, a visual effects company lined up. It was the same folks who were doing Battlestar at the time, and they were very familiar with Star Trek. And they had, I, I believe, you know, I think Doug Drexler was a, was a part of that. And so they had a lot of existing assets, but at the last minute, CBS went with their in-house group, which is called CBS Digital. And so they got the nod, but they had no assets. So they had to ramp up incredibly fast. And 
we were kind of always chasing our tail. Now, to their credit, they were amazing to work with. And contractually, it was a very weird, it wasn't very defined what was supposed to happen. So there was a lot of confusion because in our minds, Mike and and David LaFontaine and, and me, the idea was to not just redo the existing shots because that would have meant that I think there were like something like 17 shots of the Enterprise that were stock that they used over and over. And then there were, you know, they did a couple uh, episode-specific shots, obviously for the Doomsday Machine and things like that. But um, our idea was, well, we should, there should be hundreds of different shots of the Enterprise. CBS Digital's thought was, we are going to replace the 17 existing shots. So when we started rolling, the first episode we did was Balance of Terror. So, you know, Mike and I came in with, so here's what we want to do. You know, and they were like, whoa, whoa, what is this? What is this? And to their credit, boy, they, look, we almost bankrupted that little company because they <laughs> went, I mean, really, they went above and beyond. It was a pure delight to work with them. They did great work. If we would have had, you know, it's the, it's the cry of the ages. If we would have had more money and more time, um, I think what we could have done would have been really amazing. I mean, as it was, we were pretty happy with how it turned out, considering, like I said, you had three weeks to do an episode, and sometimes not even that long, because the syndication schedule, you know, as soon as we started, uh, you know, we got a, a letter from up above, you got to accelerate, you know, <laughs> we, we want to release them on DVD now, and we want, you know, and so we had to go even faster in some cases, and it was a, that's how it all kind of, that's how it all came about, and then Mike and I, uh, divided shows. So what we would do is he took all the even numbered and I took all the odd numbered or something and we would just watch the episode and, and we had these Excel sheets where we would at every time code where there was an effect and, and it, the, the scope actually expanded because we also did map paintings on planets. We could also uh, do some stuff with that that was really fun. So every time you ran into a visual effect you'd write the in and out time because we we were confined to that space. If there was a three-second visual effect, that's what it needed to be, three seconds long. So that was constricting as well. There was only one or two times where we actually changed the edit to put stuff in, like we took out a reaction shot or a weird dead shot of people just kind of staring off into the distance and replaced it with something else. But we were, we were for the most part, religiously tied to that original cut time. And, and then we would come in with our, you know, it, it would say Enterprise moves left to right. Believe me, there were a lot of things that said Enterprise movement across the screen. Uh, and then we would propose our new shot. You know, this is a low angle of the Enterprise as it passes overhead or, you know, whatever it was. And we had these little models and we'd, you know, zoom them around to figure out the shots. And it was a lot of fun. And, and so that's how we kind of proceeded. And then we, uh, before the show was going to launch, we each went to a different convention. I went to Chicago. Uh, Mike went to San Francisco, I think, and I think they got Rod Roddenberry to do Seattle or something. And that was a scary, I'd, you know, spoken at a lot of conventions before, but that was a scary one because you're going to now go on stage and I knew the reaction was going to be the reaction I had about it. So, you know, you just kind of gear yourself up and, and hope that, you know, it wasn't a scene out of Frankenstein's monster. And, you know, <laughs> people are going to rush the stage with pitchforks and flaming things. And uh, 
but everybody seemed to be pretty pretty receptive by the time I was done. I think I kind of allayed people's fears. Mike, weren't you there with with your pitchfork in hand? I, I was in Chicago, and I saw, you know, I, I mentioned this on the first episode, but I saw it on the schedule, and I'm like, I am going to go to that panel. I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind. And I sat in the back of the auditorium, and then I saw this guy talking to a bunch of people. And, like, everyone was sort of gathered around and, like, listening to him. And I was, like, as my wife would say, ear hustling. And um, it was it was you talking about, you know, Star Trek Remastered. So I kind of go over there and I start listening. I start asking questions. And, and I, I talked to you for a, a good long time, actually. And at the end, I was like, all right, fine. He, he, he knows what he's doing. I guess I have to at least... <laughs> give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, but and, well, I, you know, I remember that. I remember sitting in the back of the auditorium <laughs> and trying to head people off. It was like, you know, <laughs> get a couple people on my side early. <laughs> well, it worked, <laughs> but you know, that, that is the interesting thing because like, I, I remember uh, this might've been about a year ago on Twitter. Uh, someone, I think probably Tristan put up a question and they're like, you know, which, which do you prefer the, the original effects or remastered? And it seemed like everyone was saying remastered, and the one person who really stood out was Drew, who said, you know, oh, yeah, I prefer remastered. I'm like, what? Because Drew's other fandom thingy is Star Wars Revisited, which is basically stripping Star Tre or Star Wars of all of those, you know, new effects and sort of reinserting <laughs> the old ones. And... That says a lot to me that, you know, the guy who is actively trying to get that stuff out of Star Wars is saying, yeah, yeah, Star, Star Trek, I'm, I'm on board with that one. <laughs> well, well, the big the big thing to me is that they're both available. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we have that option is what makes me like if if the original versions of Star Wars were there alongside with the special editions, I would have no problem with the special editions. And the fact that remastered, that both versions are on there, makes me happy. I, that's part of the thing. I'm not a hundred percent okay with the next generation remastered because the original effects. I understand that they're only DVD quality or less than DVD quality, but just to have them all in one set and be able to flip back and forth to compare uh, is a big deal for me. Yeah, when the guys at when the when the home video people told us that they could do this branching thing where when it came to a visual effect, you could click a button and you could watch either effect happen. Um, we thought that was great. I mean, because, you know, there are, there are people out there who th those visual effects mean something to them. They, they remind them of a time in their life or they, whatever, whatever the touchstone is. And so it was, that, that was a really, now, aside from that, even if you couldn't do that, look, there are so many versions of the original series out on various formats that you still have it. I mean, you can still, you can go to cbs.com right now and watch episodes with the original effects. And in fact, Wednesday nights, I get together with a group of guys and we, uh, we play this very nerdy game. But anyway, after most of the guys leave, it's like 1130 or so. And a couple of guys stay and they are getting acclimated to Star Trek, the original series. And we sit down and we bust out the computer and, and we watch an episode or two of the original series, and it's really fun watching it with people who've never seen it before. 
and those are the original effects. And of course, it's nothing but guffaws and laughter from these guys. You know, they're <laughs> they're going to run home and jump onto their playstations and have better visual effects. So, you know, when they look at it, they're like, "Oh man, that's really cheesy," or "Wow, that's really bad." But they always walk away appreciating the story, and that that is really the whole point of that was our kind of mantra about doing remastered is that regardless of what you see on the screen we never want you to veer from the fact that captain kirk is in danger the crew is in danger or you know what i mean the story is the the grail and everything else is just a little bit of icing so that's how we approached it and i think we like i said i think in some cases we restrained ourselves a little too much uh, because think about it i mean you know while we were trying to maintain what these guys had done. Imagine what these guys would have done if they could have used the technology we had. So, but it's a, it's a very slippery slope too. You know, the, the, the first time you say, well, what if the Enterprise really banked, really banked, almost upside down, you know, then you're, you're going to be doing barrel rolls and you're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and there are people who are like, who cares? It's space, let them do a barrel roll. And it's like, yeah, it's just, I, I don't think that's quite where we want it to go because that's the kind of thing that makes you go, Holy cow! That and and now you're more, you're more about that than the other. Were there like actual rules? Like, did you have like a printout? Like, remember, the Enterprise never does this kind of thing. No, we. It, it was actually good that there were three of us, because because there were times when somebody wanted to do something and the other, or there was two people butting heads and one person had to choose sides, and uh, you know one of the classic ones was. It has nothing to do with a ship shop, but it was uh, Kirk's gravestone in Where No Man Has Gone Before because it says James R. Kirk. And Denise and I had a throwdown about it. I was, you know, we've got to change it to James T. Kirk. And she was like, no, we have to keep it R. I'm like, why would this guy write an R? He's got godlike powers. He's omnipotent. And in between us on the couch is Mike sitting silently just (laughs) and and Denise and I were going at it boy we were going at it and at one point she got up to go to the restroom and I turned to Mike and I said you know I'm right you know I'm right and because that's your wife sitting next to you you're not gonna you know and uh, as it turns out it was a moot point because there was no way we could have done it with the amount of roto work It it would have taken you know a month to do that just to do that sequence so it never came up, but uh, but it was good to have three people there to to kind of reel the others back when when something was going astray. So there was no real set of rules aside from let's try and maintain what they did, but make it a little cooler. You know, instead of seventeen shots of the Enterprise, I mean, let's do you know I think we ended up doing like one hundred and thirty different shots of the Enterprise, beauty passes and turns and different kind of angles. And, Closing in on areas of the ship, you know, like if the if the next scene was going to be sick bay, we'd kind of close in on the ship where sick bay was, you know, and do a push in on the ship that way, or uh, so little things like that. We we tried to do, you know, there were some things like in court martial, nobody really knew what this ion pod was, you know, Ben Finney's in the ion pod. The what? Get out of that pod, Ben. <laughs> well, where's the pod? What is the pod? What is it for? Even looking at the old scripts, we were like, we, we couldn't figure out what this thing was. So we just kind of scraped around the ship, and we were like, where can this thing be? Where where can we put it? And we ended up putting it near the shuttle bay in the back. And, and when they're in orbit and Kirk's captain's log is playing over it, we close in, and there are like two little guys in spacesuits fixing it. 
And so that was like, you know, we were all, ooh, is that going too far? You know? <laughs> but, you know, in retrospect, it's not. And, and, I, and I'll tell you this, if you ever, ever want to feel humbled and miserable, go on the Internet as your shows are being. <laughs> People were just lambasting us on. And, and things like, uh, there was some, you know, it, when it started, you can't help it. You want to know what the reaction was. About a third of the way through, I was like, I'm done. I'm not going on the internet anymore. It's just crazy. Um, but things like uh, three-month-long flaming discussions about the nacelles, you know, the caps of the nacelle. The, the nacelle caps. No, I was involved in that. <laughs> I'm oh sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. It, it, look, it, I, I get that people had opinions about it, but for months on end, people – going insane about it and you know at some point you just have to back away and you have to just say you know we have to do this for us we have to you have to do it for yourself you can't there's no way you can take comments from online or you'll they'll kill you you know you'll you'll just there's no way to balance it if someone is always going to dislike your choice and someone is always going to love your choice and there's no way to to appease everyone so you just have to you just have to do it for yourself and and you know, we did things like, I, I don't know if it, it's expertise, but Mike is very plugged into NASA. He does a lot of work for them. He designs all the mission patches and, you know, stuff like that. So when we did planetary shots, you know, uh, things like that, that was his, and, and the map paintings, the, those were his meat and potatoes. Boy, he loved dealing with that stuff. Uh, even on, like, on the, the Botany Bay, he spent... A little too much time, I think. <laughs> um, kind of haranguing the guys at CBS Digital about making sure that the hatch that was located at the top of the model of the Botany Bay resemble a hatch from the ISS, from the International Space Station. To to and it's something you never saw. So you know you could you, you get a little too uh, you can get a little too invested in it. My thing was the battles. I remember being a kid. And Kirk would lay out a plan, but all you would get is now Enterprise moves left to right. You know? <laughs> Enterprise stands still and fires phasers straight forward. Exactly. You know, um, so all the kind of battle sequency stuff, that was mostly my input because I wanted to make sure that that stuff made as much sense as we could given the, the time constraints of each cut. So, uh, you know, the ultimate computer and Doomsday Machine and all that you know, all those battle sequences. Enterprise incident, I think, is my favorite. Yeah, where they pull the, away the, at warp speed. And... Yeah, where they pull away and they just zoom away. I was showing my dad. I was flipping back and forth. See, this was what it looked like before. But now, look, they, like, zoom away in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's – so we each kind of had our thing um, that we that we like to work on. And so that's, that's how we approach most of the work. Yeah, but you were talking about the reaction from, you know, people on the Internet – I'm just wondering, did you have any uh, consultation or any feedback from people who had worked on the original series? No, but we did. I think they talked to a couple of the actors. I don't remember if it was Leonard Nimoy. I don't remember who it was, but one of them said it was a bad idea to do it, and I think one of them was kind of excited about it. And You know, look, this is a, this is a three-year commitment out of their entire careers when, right. when they look mm -hmm. at it. And, you know, what do you think about them, you know, changing the enterprise? To the, like, okay. Uh, 
but what we did do was like for the doomsday machine that was a tough one because that thing is just stupid looking <laughs> and i mean it is it's just kind of a dopey looking thing and we went back to the original script and and then mike actually got in touch with mr spinrad who wrote it and and said to him what was your original concept for this thing and he said well you know the what i wanted it to be was this thing that was bristling with weapons just all kinds of different weapons everywhere but over the eons it's just been pounded down and uh, because it's so old so w the original concept was there are all these little protrusions and little things still sticking out of it that resemble that what could have been weapons but it's just been you know but of course by the time we did the show the budget was such that they just you know grabbed a elkhorn or whatever you know, <laughs> and, and there it was and and um and so we were kind of at a crossroads because we wanted to uh, do what he envisioned for it. We thought it would have been really cool to do that, but again, it was a time problem for us. It was to to model that thing the way we, you know, we Mike did a lot of sketches and we talked ad nauseum with them about it because it's a big effect show, and and it's in a lot of ways it was a very controversial show in that people have their visions of how it should look, you know, because it's really the big battle show from Star Trek, from the original series. Um, you know, there's a guy who released, a guy named Darren Doctorman, who released the week before or the week that we were going to release it, he released a, a reel of visual effects that he had done saying, this is how I would have done it. And it's interesting because when David LaFontaine came to me, Darren was the first person I called, and I said, you need to give me a bid, because I loved it. He does, he's an amazing guy. He does really fantastic work, and he, he uh, was part of the team that, that did um, the reworking of the motion picture. And I said, you need to give me a bid on how much it would cost to do this, and, he, and unfortunately, he had no infrastructure. He had no equipment. He had, you know, he's a, he's a, a guy who works at different studios. So he didn't have his own company or his own infrastructure, so his cost was way too high, and I, I just we couldn't go with him. But but it was interesting that when that show came out, um, he had released this thing saying, you know, and of course that launched again an entire internet storm because there were the people were saying, wow, you did it, you know, the way I envisioned it, and other people were saying, no, they, you know, I love the way that they did their enterprise, and so it's a, you know, that that was a big, uh, that was another big thing that when it happened so and you know the project was full of these little kind of explosions along the way like walking through a minefield but uh but generally i think the work was pretty well received and i'm pretty proud of what we were able to accomplish with uh, with what we had to work with i guess the thing that people don't really ever talk about is uh, how the sound was redone as well D did you have anything to do with that or are you just uh, focused on the effects well we didn't uh, we didn't actually do any of the engineering or any of that but I know Denise did a lot of work looking into uh, the various, trying to track down original tracks and, and a lot of the musical stuff because they obviously changed the, you know, they reworked, I should say, the main theme and had a woman come in and do the female vocal part for that. And that was really cool to watch as well. That was a cool day on the scoring stage. We were able to go, but we didn't, that, that wasn't really our, we were so, we were so hammered by, trying to get the visual effects done. There was really not a lot of time for, I mean, Doomsday Machine, my wife had just had a baby. And when Doomsday Machine was coming out, 
they were working on it until like five in the morning the day that it needed to ship and you know i kudos to mike at that point because he was the one who you know i was out <laughs> at the end of that you know i was there was just no way i could do it all so he uh, he was the one kind of shepherding it and uh uh, and getting all of those effects done, but they they work their tails off to get that to get that thing done. But we were so you know we were so wrapped up in that we didn't have anything to do with uh, a lot of the other aspects of it. In fact, when I was in Chicago, before I went on stage, I was sitting in the hotel diner and I was working on the breakdown for a muck time, and uh, I was watching it on my computer. And a muck time was an interesting one because you know I hated that red curtain that is behind them that's supposed to be the Vulcan sky and you know the original as I watched the show my original idea was just right away oh well let's put a city behind them somewhere in the distance let's see some kind of Vulcan architecture or something but by the time I'd finished that breakdown in the, in the restaurant there were like 182 cuts to that <laughs> you know to that red sky because of the fight and there was just no way because all that would have to be rotoed and Roto work takes it's a frame at a time where you have to you know trace everything in the you know around the character and take everything else out and so there was no way so I started thinking well I was on the plane on the way back to LA and I was looking out the window and I thought <clears throat> well wait a minute what if uh, what if that place where they're fighting is high up what if it's on the top of a mountain and we can do something where we can look down past them or you know whatever so I went I, when I got back to work there was a uh, uh, an illustrator and architect that we work with that was on staff and he was a big Star Trek fan and I said to him hey uh, would you if I kind of pitch this to you can you draw it for me because I can't draw you know worth a damn and I said what if I, what I'm thinking is there's like two mountains and they're connected by a rock bridge and something we can see over but then down like they're really high up and you can see like a city way 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 below and he kind of sketched this thing out and I brought it to Mike and of course the only problem I mean he loved it but the only problem was we didn't have a spot to do it there was no real place to insert that thing so that's one of the places where Kirk's Spock and McCoy beam down and then there's a couple weird cuts to McCoy and Kirk and and they're just kind of staring off in the distance. It's just kind of a weird editing moment. And we kind of, you know, clenched our cheeks and said, well, here we go. Let's, let's re-edit this. And, and we took those reaction shots out. And that's where in that episode now you see them walking across the giant stone bridge. And then Mike had the great idea to put the Vulcan city from the animated series down below in the distance, that kind of wheel-shaped city, and so we did. We ended up doing that with the map painting, and it, it's. I think it adds a lot to the to, because now when you see, at least now when you see the sky, you realize that's it's just sky. There should never be anything behind it because they're so high up, and at least that for me took a little of the onus off that red sky with nothing behind it, so or with nothing in it, so. Uh, so those were it was those kind of weird choices that and, and there were things we we kept bumping into along the way like do we see tractor beams you know it was like the first time somebody used a tractor we were like oh boy should we see it should we like actually make a beam or what color are phasers they're red in some seasons they're blue in some should we just come up with a standard color should we you know and, and these were all little kind of 
debates that we would have. And it was, uh, it was really fun to, to come up with that, with a lot of that stuff. I mean, the tractor beam thing was, I was, I, I didn't think, I don't, Mike didn't either think that we should do beams. I mean, that was a next gen thing. And so we were both kind of like, well, let's not, let's not do that. And it was like, but then how do you, how do you, how do you do it? In the original series, you know, they did just by like the Enterprise would move and then the ship would move with it. And so you assume that's in tractor beam, but it was like, is there a better way to, to do that? And, and I thought the tumbling would be cool because when the tumbling stops, now you can see the Enterprise kind of write it and, and it's got it. But as soon as the tractor beam is turned off, the, the objects, you know, innate in, internal movement that it was having continues. It's not that the tractor beam stopped it, it's that it just kind of paused it as it was going. But once you let go, it's still ready to keep its turn going. And that's how we kind of came around the tractor beam thing, which I think worked kind of well in that episode. Where right when the Enterprise lets it go, it starts on its kind of tumble into the unknown again. But there were a lot of those little questions that we had to answer, and it was really, uh, it was really fun to, to tackle them because they'd come out of nowhere. You'd be watching an episode, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. What do we do there? And there were a couple mistakes we made as well. I mean, there was in the, in the episode uh, with the, where they go to the planet of the Native Americans, mm-hmm. Miramani, there's a point where somebody says, the chief says something about the blue beam that comes out or the green beam that comes out. He says a specific color, and we missed that when we were watching it. So when the episode came out, the color was wrong. And so we had to, they actually went back and fixed it. Oh, okay, good. I was going to say yes. the internet must have blew up. When that oh, yeah, happened. yeah. <laughs> and it was crazy unheard of that they would go back and fix it, but they did. And uh, and so that was, you know, little things like that. Or, or there was the thing with uh, in The Naked Time where Scotty's cutting through the bulkhead and there's no beam coming out of his phaser in the original episode. So it was like, you know, oh, can we, you know, the little things we would go to CBS Digital with. We just they'd just be on this Excel sheet. Here you go, here's the sheet for this week, you know, and they're like, Well, we're not doing phaser beams inside the ship. It's like, Yeah, but you know, you have a, uh, we're not Come doing on. animals blinking. Yeah, but it's the Gorn and you know, if you could just uh, and uh, Neil Ray there and uh, Craig uh Weiss, uh they were just fabulous. I mean it, it there was times where it came to blows where like, you know, I was me and David LaFontaine and and the guys at CBS Digital and like the presidents of divisions at CBS were sitting in rooms while we were arguing over the table about what the point of this whole exercise was. I mean, there were times where it got a little ugly, but uh, but yeah, to their credit, they uh, they. I, I know I'm, I sound like a broken record, but it it can't be uh, it can't be overstated how much work those guys did uh, for us that they had. They had no obligation to do. Um, you know the, the the Gorn blinking thing. That was actually something which, when when you were talking to me in Chicago, you were like, uh, "I can't promise anything, but I think the Gorn's going to blink." And anyone who knows me knows that uh, you know the Gorn is the best thing ever. And you know, I'm like, "Wow, that's that's really cool." I I think I'm going to have to watch that. And then I saw I got some DVD. Who knows? And they had a a commercial for the i think it was for the dvd set for season two and it said in there like and the gorn will blink you know and then you see the gorn blink and i'm like oh my god this is the most amazing thing ever 
Were, were there any little things like that? Because I, I imagine if I were doing this, you know, that would be something that I would probably fight to the bitter end for. Was there anything that, you know, like some little thing that no one else would care about that you were just like, this has to be here. This, this needs to be in this thing. Yeah, there were, there were little things like, um, like when uh, the Android Norman lifts his shirt and opens his stomach, you know, it looks like an RCA TV in there. And, you know, we're like, Oh, if you could make that look cool and not be like (laughs) transistors and, you know, uh, and so, you know, little things like that. Um, and there were a couple we didn't get as well. Like one thing we really wanted to do, and it just wasn't, we just couldn't pull it off. But uh, when they beam over to the Botany Bay, we wanted to roto them out and redo the map painting. So they were standing at one end of the ship, and you could see all the way down a long corridor, all the chambers. We thought that was really cool to see all these sleeping people instead of the you know six extras you see in the show, uh, but we just didn't we didn't have time to pull it off. But uh, but the Gorn was a big one, uh, Scotty's phaser, they, and you have to understand that these were all they're tiny little things, but they were major victories for us because they were not part of the original scope of work. It was anything in space and a, a few of the map paintings. That was it. So every time we went to them with one of these tiny little things, you know, things like, um, boy, the clock in my bedroom is more advanced than Sulu's chronometer at the navigation. (laughs) You know, and so things like that, to get them done, Mike did the animation at home and then brought it to them and said, would you just insert this in? (laughs) Just put this in. Yeah, exactly. It was like, you don't have to do the work. All you have to do is put this in place of that. And, so see i've wondered that so that's great that that was just like we ever did to just work on it at home and then just be like look yeah yeah because i mean you know i that it's not my forte but but mike's kind of savvy doing some of this stuff as long as it's kind of simplified stuff and and so um whenever we could do it you know like like in the episode uh what episode is it i think it's a wink of an eye or there's a point where they're standing in a hallway it's uh, Kirk, Spock, and a security guard. And somebody fires a phaser, and the force field goes on inside the corridor. And uh, Mike did this thing where the, the shot is, you know, they always had to lock the camera off and freeze the shot when they were going to do a visual effect. So if a person fires a phaser, you'll notice they freeze, you know, like statues, and then the beam comes out. <laughs> and that's what happened in that shot. But what Mike did is he... I, it must have been Kirk firing. I don't remember, but he cut the person's arm out of the shot and then made it slowly pan back and forth. It's it's very weird looking. It's really cool. If you watch it now, it's very weird looking because everyone else is frozen, but you just see this arm kind of sweeping back and forth. It, it's all three of them actually doing that. Yeah. Which kind of makes it weirder, but also makes it more normal. <laughs> So uh, so anywhere we could do those little things, we really tried to we really tried to do them, and uh, and you know sometimes we were victorious and sometimes not. It, it's weird because that shot is the the representative. Like we redid the special effects on the back of the Blu-ray. Like everything else is like, look at this ship shot and look at this ship shot, and it's like, look at this fuzzy nothing and look at these beams and these arms. It's like, oh okay, that's representative of season three. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, there were, you know, there were things you didn't want to deal with either, like the lights of Zaytar, where you're just like, really? <laughs> Maybe we should just leave it. <laughs> you know? But, but uh, I noticed last time in Wink of an Eye, uh, you replaced all of the backgrounds, like the, the map painting that they were standing in front of. That's a lot of roto work. Well, why did you l- remove the mat? Because if it was in the scope of work, we held their feet to the fire. Oh. So whenever we could do it, you know, we did the same thing with the menagerie. In the menagerie, they beam down, and uh, you can kind of see the star base off in the distance, but we had everybody get Starfleet uniforms on. So if you look at it now, uh, or it might be... I wonder if we did it in court martial too. There's a building to the right with kind of smoky glass windows, or it might just be because it was at night. But uh, but you see people moving around in the building, and that's the staff of CBS Digital. <laughs> we all we took one day and we all went down in front of a green screen. I uh, I had a Captain Kirk shirt on. I don't remember where I got it from. Oh yes, I do. My closet. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> So Mike and Denise came with their costumes, and I came with mine, and they shot us all in doing different things. And then when we put the shot together, there's a, a – this is in the menagerie. They, they beam down, but on the left side of the screen, you can see Mike and Denise talking to each other. He's wearing a blue shirt. She's wearing a, the red skirt. And past them in the distance, you see me walking, and I, like, take out a communicator and flip it open. <laughs> um and so there were little things like that, like in uh, Devil in the Dark, there's a, a, an exterior or a, a shot kind of outside the complex, and, there are, and we added little guards walking back and forth. And the guard uh, is Neil Ray, who's the visual effects supervisor for the, for the project. He is also Apollo's hand. <laughs> so that was a, and that was a fun shoot because, that, you know, it was like, so what should I do? And it's like, well, just kind of slowly rotate your hand and move your fingers just a little. And, you know, you know, I wondered how you guys did that. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> that's Neil Ray's hand. He's uh, He did that. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a couple things like the, the Doomsday Machine really took the, the uh, it, it, it took a toll on everyone because it was, they were, from the beginning, we were constantly racing the clock to, to get that show done. And the, it, I think you can look it up on YouTube. They played a practical joke on Neil, where they uh, they replaced the word constitution or constellation with I think constipation. <laughs> I think that's I think that was the word they used. I, I think it was something a little more subtle. I think it was like constitution or something like that, or just a typo. Yeah, it was like a typo. They like changed the word somehow. And they call Neil into the office, and they're like, "David Lafontaine's on the phone. Man, he is furious." Doomsday Machine is about, you know, it just aired, and look what it says here on the ship. And Neil's face is just like, <laughs> you know, and, and after this, it was a really mean joke they played on him, but it was after this grueling time. And it was, uh, if you go to YouTube and type in, I think it's like Practical Joke and, and Neil Ray, W R A Y, I think you'll see it, but it's very, uh, it's very funny. It's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, when it, when it got to like, like one of my favorite shots, it's kind of a it's kind of a nothing shot, but it is one of my favorite shots in the whole thing is when that little piece of planetary debris hits the 
constellation. And I remember we were talking about it, and you know, we were going to beat that ship up pretty hard. I mean, you know, in the original series, it's a you know, like an AMT model that you know somebody took a lighter to the nacelles, and it's just kind of all melted. And, and so when we did, you know, we wanted to build infrastructure, and we wanted to, I mean, we wanted to make it look like a like a starship. And and so it was sitting there, and I thought, boy, you know what? what what would be really cool is if this ship is in such a sad state of affairs that even the universe is going to take a shot at it. You know, even, <laughs> even you know, nature's just going to go, F you constellation, and this rock just goes, boom, and it just has to sit there and take it, and t- you know, more insult to injury. And I just love that. That's one of my favorite shots. That one, and uh, I love stuff we did with the Botany Bay are some of my favorite shots. Um, where No Man Has Gone Before was an interesting challenge because what is the barrier? You know, okay, it's this thing at the edge of space. And, of course, when you watch it, I don't know how you guys were when you saw it, but when I watched it, even as, you know, a seven-year-old, I was like, well, let me just go around it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of flat, disc-like thing. Just go above it. And, uh, and so what we tried to do in that show was, you know, as you, as you got closer to it, it extended up, but then dissipated in the way it would dissipate if it was just too far to see. You know, it still has the same consistency as what's in front of you, but as it goes way out of your distance, it just kind of fades away into, you know, I don't know if that came off that well, but, uh, but there, you know, those are the kinds of things where, wow, if we would have just had a little more time to throw in, you know, if we would have had a, a month to prep every one of these shows, like really get in and talk about it. Okay, here's what we'd like. Here's, you know, it would have been uh, feature level, crazy good, you know. But what we had was, here's our breakdown. Let me just go over this with you really quickly. And then he was talking to the artists about it and they started working. I mean, it was that fast. Uh, there wasn't a lot of time to conceive of things. It, it, you know, it would be, you know, over lunch. <laughs> what, what can we do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then we'd move on from there. But uh, that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess you're lucky that they they didn't just say nope. Those 17 stock shots, and then they could have. They just said, "Good work, producer." <laughs> yeah, that, you know, and and Neil was a Neil was the big one. I think he was kind of slipping stuff under under the radar for us uh, because he believed in it. He you know he understood why we were doing it. It's not, what's the point of just redoing those 17 shots? That doesn't get you anything. You know, this was a chance to really kind of elevate it. And, and Neil wanted to go really far. Neil wanted to do things like. What if every season we take something from Star Trek, the motion picture enterprise and put it on the enterprise? Oh. Like you can see like this, you know, and we're like, okay, you be quiet now. And he'll be quiet. <laughs> you know, and he was like, no, just like, you know, we take that, you know, that dish off, that, that radar dish off the front. We put the other thing there, you know, just something small, but to see that, you know, that it was progressing and it was like, oh, no, we're not going to go there. So he wanted to get lit on fire with and pitchforked. He didn't. Yeah, yeah. He, did. he didn't care because he knew it. We would be the ones, you know, <laughs> hanging in effigy. He's like, I'm not going to any conventions. <laughs> That's right. He's, Nobody knows my name. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, but uh, so there was, you know, and that's the slippery slope. That's the let's do one little thing that can turn into a whole. Well, we did that thing. Why don't we do this now? You know, that was our fear. Uh, looking back at it, we were respectful and responsible enough that we could have gone a little further and we still would have maintained what we wanted. We just, you know, we were a little afraid to do it. I mean, even down to like, 
in the original series opening, as the Enterprise is, there's a shot where the Enterprise is moving, and it does what we call the bump. It's, it's coming towards you, but then it kind of changes trajectory, and then it keeps coming towards you again, and we called it the bump. We had, I don't know, a, because that was one of the first things we had to do, one of the first effects we were going to do was the credits. And we had like a week-long discussion about it. Do you keep the bump? And there were proponents, and there were opponents. And, you know, and eventually we, we came up with what you see, which is, no, it's just a smooth ride right now. But I know there are people, I mean, Doug Drexler, one of them is like, I can't believe they took that out, you know, and it's people, people have their reasons for wanting these things in. That's what you just, you just have to be kind of faithful to yourself. I guess for something like that, you know, it, it is important to have, I mean, like, because if you don't take something like that out, then it really does become a question of like, well, why are you doing this? Because the only reason why that bump is there is really for nostalgia. And if that's what yeah, you exactly. want, then you might as well watch the originals, which thankfully still exist. And I am so happy when that Blu-ray was announced and they said not only the original effects, but the original audio tracks as well. I was like, wow, they totally did it right. You know, now, I remember. You, how, how often do you watch the original effects? See, <laughs> here's the thing. When it comes to this, I'm like Batman in the sense that I have a very specific set of rules in which I watch my shows and stuff by, and it has nothing to do with quality or anything. Like, I will watch the Star Wars Special Edition all the mm -hmm. time because George Lucas says that's the version I should watch. When it comes to something like this, where it's done after the people who made it are gone, I will automatically, like, even though I think that the uh, sound work, for example, sounds way better than the original, I will listen to the mono track because I just, that's just, it's like, it really is like Batman, you know, even or though, yeah, right. You know, it's like, it's like he, he won't kill Rage al Ghul, but he'll let him die. You know, that right. kind of thing. That's right. kind of how I am. I, it, so I watch the original effects unless I am too lazy to get up in which like, okay, so I turn Switch on Netflix. <laughs> And I, I, I watch the original for the opposite reason, <laughs> because I don't like the special editions. So I'm just like, I'm going to watch. You're talking about originals. Star Wars, right? Right. I'm talking about Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yes. Yeah. I don't like the special editions. So I'm going to watch the original version of Star Wars as often as I can. I'm going to watch the original version of Star Trek. But I do sometimes flip back and forth. Just like, that's really good work that they did there. Anytime I turn on the, the remastered version, I'm like. Damn, that's good. Look at what they're doing there. That is amazing work, you know? Just the other day, I found my new favorite thing, which is uh, my Blu-ray player, for some reason, if there's an alternate angle, has a little icon in the corner, and I can't mm -hmm. get rid of it, so it, it's distracting. <laughs> so when I'm watching Star Trek, I'm always just like, it shows me which are the alternate tracks, so I'm just like, what did they change there? And so sometimes I'll just flip back and forth because I don't notice anything. Right. I watched Sitting on the Edge of Forever the other day, and I noticed the little thing in the corner at the end, and I was like, did they did they fix the smoke in the Guardian of Forever? <laughs> so I watched the whole thing, and I'm like, yeah, the smoke stops at every credit, and when they beam out, and then I rewind it, and then I flip back to the remaster, and it's like, they fixed the smoke. The smoke yeah. goes on through the whole beam out and all the credits. And they're the original credits. They're not the redone credits. This is like, <laughs> that's, there we go. That's the kind of stuff I would have been okay with. <laughs> Which do you watch? Well, 
Uh, I watch both. When when I I am determined to cram it the original effects down my friends' throats before they can watch the remastered ones because I want them to appreciate the story that goes behind it and and I think that I think that while there's a little bit of kind of guffawing as they see some of this stuff they're becoming accustomed to it now and that now they don't really question it they just watch uh, but a friend of mine um, before we had started this project and it's one of the reasons where I I like what we did is that uh, his 11 year old son had never seen the show and so I had him over and we sat down on the couch and we watched arena and his first comment was we were about halfway through the show but I, I don't even think Kirk had been taken yet and he said they sure talk a lot it's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that's called story and and you know I, I came to the kind of realization that because of the amount of video games that kids are playing and also that the the just the frenetic nature of how things are edited and cut today. This, this kind of storytelling is alien to a lot of young kids today because it is long. It is, you know, uh, they do, because they don't have the budget to do visual effects, it all has to happen on their faces. Um, you know, there are a lot of battle sequences in that show where you just hear, you know, especially like in, in the ultimate computer. You know, we've just hit the Lexington. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wanted to see that, you know. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that when David approached me, that if this could be done with a certain amount of reverence, you know, maybe it would be easier for kids to kind of latch on to it because it's it speaks in a language that's a little more accustomed to what they're used to. And so, you know, I watch them nostalgically with the original stuff in it just because I like to do that. But when I'm showing them to my kids, I watch the remastered versions. And yeah, and my kids are small. They're, you know, five and six years old, and they haven't quite gotten it yet. You know, they, they know who all the characters are because of me. They like to watch it with me. But they're not, I wouldn't say they're by any stretch of the imagination, you know, Trekkies or anything yet. But, you know, that will change. <laughs> but, but it's interesting to, you know... And they, they, my kids don't even really... I could probably show them the original effects. It wouldn't matter because they don't play a lot of video games and they don't get a lot of TV time. So it probably wouldn't matter, but it just seems this is the world they're in now. So so it seems like a an easy transition to show them this way. Well, I mean, that, that I think kind of uh, speaks to maybe why these work so well and why they're so accepted by people like drew who are very you know unaccepting of say star wars because like you were saying it's not about changing them and making them stand out it's just about you know complementing what's already there and yeah that's 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 really cool you know yeah that's that's what we tried to do so dave where can people find you on the internet uh i have a twitter account and my twitter name is at it means hope but the I in it is actually a small L. Yes. So <laughs> lieutenant means hope is, lieutenant means is hope. how I read it when I see it. <laughs> you can find me that way. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and talking remastered. Oh, thank you guys. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Thank you very much. 
It's been fun talking about Star Trek Remastered with Dave today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Gene Roddenberry. I appreciate Gene Roddenberry as a creator because he had a vision and he stuck to it, unlike other creators of other franchises that we won't get into. Who are you talking about, Drew? Not not George Lucas. Earl Grey. Romance on TNG. I got the four pips. I'm I'm ready to settle down now. It wasn't until then that I could get, get stay with one woman. So instead of rings, do they use that last pip on his collar <laughs> as the, the signal of their <laughs> eternal love and devotion together? The orb. Majoran prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, know, I was thinking that Haran was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The Ready Room. Faces. What you brought up is the exact reason why I like this episode so much, because the essential message is we have to have our good and our not-so-hot qualities to make us who we are. We have to deal with them. And this is just a very extreme version of that. To the journey! Workforce Rewrite. And I'm totally with you about Jaffin. He is like Mark version 2.0. He's just like, he's a little too laid back. He's a little too quick to buy into all of this. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, dude, grow a pair. I like the way you put that. Commentary, Trek stars. Black and Cushman, part two. So they were trying to find a replacement, not to play Spock, but to play another Vulcan who would be assigned to the Enterprise. Whoa. And one of the wow. one of the guys they were considering was David Carradine. Warp 5 Continuity and consequences It was a place that you generally don't expect Star Trek to go with a major character for sure and certainly not for the the period of time Mm. that it went on because you know it starts in fusion, she becomes infected with this Padar syndrome and then that even leads her to drug addiction Trek news and views Looking back at TNB Oh, okay, we're still talking TMP. I was thinking Janeway's Pink Nighty. I know, it's like, what? <laughs> oh, Janeway's Pink Nighty, OBQ. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to like it. Uh-huh. Yeah, done before, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a nice night, though. Literary tricks. You'll win. It has two sides to it. You know, you can read it as just the fun yacht race, which I thought, the Federation has a biannual sailing competition? I did not know this. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit Trek.fm PD for podcast directory to get all the links. So let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show. Just go to Trek.fm contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to show, then choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners on our forum at trek.fm forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. And Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with my co-host Max, and you can also find me and Max and my friend Brandon over on commentarytrackstars.com where we do commentary track stars off topic. 
And you can find me on Twitter at ComTrackStars. And you can find me on Twitter at 005-D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. Mike, we've got a new iTunes review from the Australian iTunes store. Awesome. It's from Gary Lum, and he says, It is now complete. Happy face. I really enjoyed the first TOS podcast. It's great that Trek FM now has all the live-action series hosted. I love the Trek FM format of talking about characters, themes, and concepts. I was watching Star Wars 2 last night for the first time and thought of your stories and how you got into Star Trek. I love Star Trek because it's got great stories, great concepts, great characters, and unlike Star Wars, features science and technology as an integral part of the writing. I have to say, I kind of agree with Gary. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Gary seems to be pretty active in Trek FM these days, which is really appreciated. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I really appreciate when people reach out to us and say, hey, I listen to your show because it makes it seem like we're not doing this just for ourselves. Yes, it really does. So please contact us and yeah. leave us reviews, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Before we go, we'd also like you to please support our sponsor who makes it possible to bring Standard Orbit and our other shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek.fm. The best thing is they've got so many Star Trek books. Yeah, they do. Uh, like Star Trek Memories by William Shatner. I take it you've read that, right? I've I've read it. It's it's one of my childhood treasures. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I I read Star Trek Movie Memories, and I thought it was really really awesome. Haven't read the original yet, but now I'll get it on Audible. Yeah, it's read by William Shatner. Which, I mean, it can't really get any better than that, right? It, it, it would have to be. It would have to be. You, you can't. I'm, I'm surprised all of these books aren't narrated by William Shatner. Oh, man. That, that's just too much for the internet to handle, you know? Can you imagine the Voyager books narrated by William Shatner? I would listen to every <laughs> single one of those twice. If you would like to personally support Standard Orbit, the network, and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Standard Orbit and our other shows to you every week. So, Mike, that's another episode down. Yep, only, what, that's six down? Six down, and how many ever? Go? No? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Walk factor one. Hi, sir.